Today's interview is also recorded as a video interview. So if you like those, go check out YouTube, find Eric Hunley, and you will find the Javier Pena interview. Also, if you are interested, Steve Murphy is already on YouTube if you'd like to cheat and get to hear that one early. Otherwise, the second Narcos interview with Steve Murphy will be released later this week. But for now, I present to you Javier Pena. My name is Eric Hunley, and this is Unstructured, where we have dynamic and formal conversations with some amazing people. Today, I'm fortunate enough, I get the opportunity to interview both of the real DEA narcos seen in the Netflix series Narcos. I'm going to start off with Javier Pena, and later on, we'll be joined by Steve Murphy. I'm pretty excited about this, and these guys are just amazing. How are you doing today, Javier? Thank you, Eric. I'm doing good. Appreciate it. Well, I'm, I really appreciate having you on. And I definitely want to, if we can, obviously talk about Pablo Escobar, because you guys are famous for this, and you have a book out. But there's a whole lot in the book that I believe, what, you have a 38-year career? Is that correct? Yeah, that is correct. I did uh, about uh, eight with the sheriff's office in Laredo, and then I uh, did about 30, well, did 30 years with the uh, DEA. And Pablo Escobar, that the whole time you worked, that was what, maybe seven years? Yeah, that is correct. Yeah, I get to Columbia in 1988, and obviously uh, he got killed in 93, so I did a good six-plus years uh, looking for him. Okay. So there's a whole lot of career besides that. <laughs> <laughs> there is a very lot of conversations. Yes, <laughs> one of the things that I thought was fascinating in your book is that you interned for a minute at Huntsville. Yes, that uh, that was an experience. Uh, Texas Department of Corrections, and uh, it was a college intern out of I was at A and I uh, in Kingsville, which is now an A and M branch. But uh, the anyway, interesting. I learned a lot. But my first assignment was working a famous uh, death row, which uh, if people do not know, death row is where they're incarcerated mm-hmm. until they get uh, executed. So uh, got and to it be is Texas, so they are executed. Yes, yes, <laughs> Texas. They are. Yes, yeah, they are. Yeah, lethal. Uh, yeah. Now, what are these? people like in general and i i ask this because you know obviously we have like um mind hunter and all this mystique about you know the creepy scary criminal are these normal people who took a really bad turn you know what it, it to me they're i don't know they're they're not normal i mean um i got to meet the wow uh they call him the candy man and this guy um uh, Halloween poisoned his kids, uh, candy, you know, to collect the insurance on him. And I just like, how do you kill your kids? Because you, you wanted to collect the insurance money on, on them. Uh, they, you know, when you talk to them, they seem normal. They're there. But again, in the, in the back of your mind, it's like, how can this guy have killed his kids? Uh, I met another guy who was involved in the famous, uh, and he's famous here in the San Antonio, Texas area. His name was Fred Gomez Carrasco. He's the one who uh, uh, tried to escape from Huntsville with hostages at the library and a priest. There was a movie made about that. 
had chalkboards and put the hostages on the outside. Again, firefight. A guy, one of the guys survived. Uh, they killed some of the hostages. You know, uh, again, this are uh, they're they're mean people. When they're behind bars, they seem normal. But on the outside, like I said, what they've done is something that is just uh, you know unfathomable. I tend to have a lot of guests who read body language and do negotiation and even interrogation. And I wanted to ask you, because you've been around some dark criminals and things like that. Are there any tells? Are there any way for any tips that this is somebody you should stay away from or not? Well, you know what, when you're interviewing people and, and, and it, it depends, are they, have they been arrested? Have, are they, you know, are they free right now where you're uh, trying to establish your probable cause, where you're trying to establish mm-hmm. their information? And I'm always looking for that uh, that that lie that uh, that it doesn't make sense. And you can catch, you know, people that are that are lying. You can catch, you know, the, the body language. There's a lot of great uh, uh, people out there that are professional in reading body language. And I believe in that. Uh, but with me and, you know, we dealt a lot with informants, you know, and that's a mm-hmm. totally that's, you know, you're interrogating, interviewing informants. And uh, there's a lot of people that are trying to uh, lie to you. There's people that are trying just to see if they can make some uh, money off of you. And uh, you got to be careful. Uh, so I would always, once I corroborated something from the informant, you know, once I checked it out that he was telling the truth and, you know, then you can rely to it. But like I used to tell people at the embassy or in Bogota going after Pablo Escobar, out of 10 uh, informants that would come in, it'd be only one or two that were really, you know, telling you the truth that were really worth it. There were some mixed loyalties too, right? I think you had an informant who helped you take down the top of the Medellin right before Escobar and he actually was also paid by the Cali cartel. Is that correct? You know what? Uh, thank you for bringing that up. That no one has ever brought that up. You're the first one. So, and I thought that was going to be a big uh, to do. You know, and this is the first time you bring it up. So, yes, wow. Uh, thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, it was just a weird situation, uh, and we mentioned in the book where uh, he helped us. He's the one who really took down uh, when, uh, Jose Gonzalo Rodriguez Gacha. They call him a Mexicano. This was Pablo Escobar's partner. And uh, for the history, for the history buffs out there, Gacha, we called him, had more money than Pablo Escobar. Gacha was the one who uh, invented the, the cocaine labs. You know, he's the one who brought in paramilitaries. He's the one who brought in the Israeli mercenaries. You know what I'm saying? He was richer than Escobar. He was more violent than Pablo. Pablo used really? to have to hold him back. Yeah. Uh, Sounds like so, a Bond villain. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then, you know, Pablo, once he got killed, then it was that, that informant who led him to us. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, the money was not being paid on time. We had, a, like I said, I think it was about a million dollars we were paying because that school was very powerful. And the money wasn't coming in. It was going to come in. You know how it is. The check's in the mail. Hold on. You know, the red tape. And he just got mad at us one day. He said, you know what? Fine. Keep your money. 
I was working for the Cali cartel, and it's just like I couldn't believe what, you know, and we corroborated. You know, he told us, he said, I've already been paid by the Cali cartel. Cali hated Pablo, Pablo hated Cali. Anyway, so in essence, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, we, I'll say it. We were working with a rival uh, narcotics group, a terrorist organization, and bringing down Pablo Escobar. So obviously uh, he did not get uh, paid. That That has to be a little disconcerting because i mean everybody seems to have mixed loyalties is that a fair statement that, that is a very fair statement and, and you know who the informers that i really liked uh, were the ones that were in it for revenge you know yeah i caught my husband cheating on him so screw him he's been dealing dope you know that that's a different type of an informant but it's I, I like those ones i also wanted to ask because i I feel like it was a shadow going over this. What about FARC? What was FARC doing this whole time? I mean, weren't they there for 50 years? Yeah, yeah. FARC has had the longest civil war in, I guess, Latin America country. The FARC was there. The FARC at the beginning, and I'm glad you asked that too, the FARC at the beginning was, uh, they, they were guarding the labs. They were guarding cocaine labs for traffickers, you know. Uh, and uh, right now we see a lot in the news with Venezuela, right? And the FARC, Venezuela was protecting the FARC. Venezuela at that time under uh, Chavez was uh, giving them weapons, protecting them in Venezuela. They had safe uh, ha havens there. And, you know, we, you know, and I bring that up because, Obviously, a couple of weeks ago, the U.S. indicted uh, Maduro for drug trafficking. And Venezuela and the top leadership has always been involved with the FARC. The FARC was there. They were starting to guard the labs. And then later on, if you fast forward, you know, eight, ten years, the FARC became drug traffickers. Uh, when I was there, I went back to Colombia late 90s. And now... And you talk to FARC people, there was, there was like, there was no ideology. You know, the the beginning of the FARC, you know, that communism ideology towards the end. Yeah, yeah. It was all about making money and drug trafficking, kidnapping people. Yeah. Was Che Guevara ever mixed up with him or is he uh, strictly in uh, Bolivia and down? Yeah. yeah, Che Guevara was, yeah, down, yeah, Bolivia. We never, you know, uh, he... He helped out, of course. He was, uh, you know, I mean, part of that family, but uh, we, we never got to really see him there. Yeah. Okay, so now I have to ask the other end, because obviously there's governmental strife and things like that. What were the CIA doing down there? Because I know CIA was really uh, rampant in that area. Yeah, we, we, there was a lot of CIA people. <laughs> I, I laugh because, you know what, uh, in the show it portrays us as, uh, not getting along, and that is very accurate. <laughs> I'll be honest, that is true. They didn't like me, and I didn't like them. And, and it was all about jealousy type. You know, mm -hmm. we were the drug experts, and they were the FARC experts. They're the communism the experts. They were after guerrillas. We were after narcotics traffickers. And uh, they, when Pablo Escobar, when we started, you know, looking for him, you know, we had some CIA help, but it was more from the technology side, but we knew how to go after trafficker, and then they tried to come in and tell us what to do. Obviously, that did not work, so uh, 
you know, go back to the series where uh, we hate each other. That is true. <laughs> nowadays, nowadays we have a great working uh, relationship. But I think back then it was just, you know, ego, jealousy. And uh, if there's any law enforcement people out there, they, they know what I'm talking about, the, the jealousy in, uh, in all of this, man. So, yeah, uh, I remember they used to have this great intelligence books oh but you can't read them because you can't you know so what good is intelligence if you can't use them right mm. anyway it's changed uh nowadays so i'm uh yeah we, we got a good relationship with them well and that was you were there essentially bridging reagan through bush right 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 yes correct i can't help but think about the whole um drugs and arms and Iran and, and there were some really murky things and I don't know if this is true or not you would probably have better information but the CIA has been accused for helping to shall we say escalate the crack epidemic yeah I, and I've seen the reports I've seen the the information on especially Los Angeles there you remember there's a lot of stuff back there. I ne I'll be honest. I never got to see uh, any of that. I mean, I've heard the rumors, but I, I could not say uh, whether that, you know that happened or not. I hope it didn't happen. Uh, but again, you know, CIA was doing a lot of stuff they don't tell people, right? Uh, and uh, it's uh, they're they're very secretive. Uh, I know they got some great technology, you know, out there, uh, but I, I never got to see any of that. So, no. Okay. And now, after Escobar, where did you go? And I'm curious about, because you can probably help me understand epidemics. Like, I remember that cocaine, if I recall, was kind of big in the 80s and sliding into crack. Heroin seemed to be on the downswing at that point. But then nowadays, it seems like cocaine is almost passe and crystal meth and heroin and fentanyl is really the demon out there. Can you give me a, sort of a timeline of the drug? Yeah. Oh, yes. Uh, during the 80s, we started seeing uh, the cocaine come into the South Florida area. And uh, if you lived in that area, you know what I tell people? Uh, and most everybody has seen the movie Scarface, right? Mm -hmm. You've seen Scarface. Sure. I've seen it. You know, everybody. Uh, that was pretty accurate description. It was a little, you know, a little overdone. But that was the basics in, in, in Miami. It was uh, cowboy, you know, uh, Colombians killing Colombians in the middle of the day. The kilo of cocaine. I remember when we when I start. I I got to Colombia in 1988. Uh, that kilo at one point was going anywhere from eighty to a hundred thousand dollars. So wow. Miami was was being built on cocaine money. You know the the brick wall, the banking system, and the banking system was very lax at that time. Mm -hmm. So traffickers were you know it wasn't a problem to launder launder the money. So pressure started coming in on, on, on the cocaine, right? Pablo Escobar, 80% of it was, was his, you know, you know, uh, and then, you know, we started, we had never seen a Pablo Escobar before. So we started seeing how does a trafficker get his, to be this big, that empire. Then we saw obviously the violence, the, uh, 
the bombing of commercial airlines, the killing of a presidential candidate, the killing of judges, the killing of police officers, and then the indiscriminate car bombs. And, and the car bombs to me are like the worst I had ever seen. I had never seen a car bomb, but then Pablo Escobar was placing them all over Bogota, Medellin. Anyway, so going back to the to the question, cocaine was, was out of control. We tried to... Uh, put a stop to it. We took down Pablo Escobar and the Medellin cartel. Then what happened, Eric? Then all of a sudden, the Cali cartel, right, took it over, North Valley history. Then you're right. I mean, uh, heroin was always during the 80s. I remember I started in 84 in Austin, Texas. And, uh, man, I was buying undercover a lot of heroin, you know, uh, from Mexico coming in. Uh, then, you know, we, we started concentrating again. Then we saw, remember, the prescription drug, right, mm. the epidemic where we had the rogue doctors, rogue pharmacists, the pain uh, pills, right? That's led into yep. the heroin of now, right? It's yep, that exactly. people can't get their prescriptions, so they get heroin. Wow, you're you're bad. You're yeah, that's it. Yeah, and they went to the heroin because we started putting pressure. Uh, then we had the uh, the methamphetamine craze, you know, where we started seeing all this uh, uh, the methamphetamine being uh, manufactured. You know, California. We had a lot in Texas, then all the states, Missouri. You know, with the methamphetamine uh, epidemic, and we saw. The, the meth people, I mean, because I, I always talk to the people, you know, we arrest the informants, the addicts, and, I mean, they were telling me, he says, Javier, he says, all I did was one, uh, you know, one uh, hit of, uh, of meth, and, you know, I, I'm hooked. You know, it, it was a terrible drug. I have a dumb that, question about that. Yeah. Is, I remember in the 80s, there was Coke, and then there's something called crank. Is meth crank? Yes, yeah. You know what we used to call crank? It, it's a different ma uh, name. It was the the way you manufactured in Austin, Texas. I was buying a lot of crank, yeah, and it was just a slang for for methamphetamine. Okay. It was just the cooking process was different. Yeah, crank is. Uh, you're right. Wow, you're going back to uh, history. I hadn't heard that word in a while, but yeah, crank, uh, meth, and it's all sorts of names. But then uh, the process to manufacture was always getting better, different, you know, uh, yeah. And the first time, yeah, crank was uh, made with phenyl 2 propanol, which they call it P2P, which was legal. You could buy the chemical on, you know, on uh, chemical stores. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, then, like I said, heroin, meth, and uh, uh, prescription drugs, and going back to heroin, then we started, uh, you know, uh, seeing the, the the fentanyl right now, the laced uh, fentanyl and, and meth, f laced fentanyl and fake prescription pills. And now that, you know, fentanyl, what they tell us, there's if you, there's only like a grain of like a salt, right. little uh, grain of salt, that's all it takes to kill someone. So it's a very dangerous uh, it's drug. It's scary. Uh, They've. There have been it, cases, I guess, where it, oh. officers opened a box and because it, you know, the dust hit the air, it's killed them. Literally, yeah, it's just killed them. Right, right. And, and, and just for the viewers out there, be careful. We, we you know, there's a lot of examples because we get uh, with another organization that we help out, but it's the fake, uh, fake Sanex, right? 
that's mm. manufactured in the black market. They're lacing it with fentanyl. There's a lot of examples where a neighbor, will, you know, trying to be helpful, oh, here, try this pill, and, you know, it's laced with fentanyl. They bought it from the black market. The other person didn't know about it, you know what I'm saying? So it, it's just a, there's, you know, the moral of the story is, you know, rely on your prescription uh, medication from doctors. That um, I'm going to go in and I you had a funny story and I believe it was a meth bust, but it was about a Tejano singer and you were in the car with him. Could you relay yeah. that? Because I just thought it, it was so funny in many different elements, including I hate to say, but sort of the trap of celebrity. Yes, th that's a great story. And you know what? We I I had the person's name in the book, and then our the legal department of the book said, "Oh yeah, don't don't put in his name, you know, for legal purposes." I, and I was like, "Why?" The guy went to prison. But yeah, it was funny. Me and my buddy, you know, we uh, it's you know how it is. In undercover, sure. we bought a couple of ounces of crank. It was meth. Uh, then we're always going for that bigger bus, right? You know. Mm. Uh, so I think he was going to deliver about a about a pound of meth, which was big at that time in Austin, Texas. And uh, we're dealing with a lower, you know, lower uh, lower scumbag, right? <laughs> so you know, our purpose is to try to get to the bigger guy. Mm -hmm. So uh, the guy says, "Yeah, yeah, I got, I got the. We had already made a couple of ounce buys, and then he said, I got the, I got the pound. Meet us at this restaurant and." Me and my partner show up. It's a big Lincoln Continental, you know. <laughs> I remember it had the tire well. Remember in the back? In the, oh, you yeah. Know? Oh, yeah. Was it one of those sloped yeah. trunks at an angle? Because they yeah, did that's chopped it. off. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, so uh, the guy we're dealing with is getting the backseat. And our orders from the bosses, you do not trip, you know. Don't don't get out of the parking lot. We'll stay anyway. So we get into the first thing the guy does. puts in reverse. We're going for a ride. I'm like, <laughs> oh man, our you know our surveillance is going to stop us. Luckily, they didn't stop us. But anyway, so we're in the back seat. They throw the pound at us. Me and my buddy, hey, all right, hey, here's the go back to the parking lot. We have our money. It's right next to you know to my car. So uh, we're driving back. And yeah, uh, and in the back seat, he had a whole bunch of CDs, man, just thrown all over the place. And this guy was pretty famous, you know. And uh, so uh, once we once we park, obviously, you know, we we arrest him. And I'm like looking at the CDs and, you know, once we have he says, man, you're such and such. But I listen to your music. Everybody <laughs> listens to your music. He, he sort of laughed and said, hey, can you autograph it? Yeah, so he autographed the CD for me. <laughs> but uh, you know what? Nice guy. But, you know, and, you know, uh, and I think he ended up doing about four years in prison. But, uh, yeah, our, our publisher, our editor didn't want to put in his name. He's an older Tejano, but mm. in uh, if you're a Tejano fan, you would know who the guy is. <laughs> I, I just love that though, and and the um, still getting a signature out there. Because yeah, yeah, he gave, yeah. He signed his CD, and I'm like, hey, thank you, man. <laughs> he he worked really hard to get that celebrity, so it, it is yeah. a shame in a yeah, lot of ways. But that yeah. that makes me really want to ask you, and you may hate the question. I'm not sure, but. Okay. The war on drugs, it's about to turn, or DEA is going to be turning 50 pretty soon. And right, right. Is, this, yeah. is this a Pyrrhic victory? I mean, is the war actually being won? Nah, you know what? 
It, it is not. And I'm going to let uh, my partner, because Steve's got a hold, <laughs> ask you about that. I will. He's got a I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. The war on drugs, like I said, it's it's a misnomer, as we know. you, you got to go after the traffickers. I'm always, you know, I mean, this guy's, and you know where when, when I hate it, when I was starting to uh, work with DEA, you know, mm. <laughs> I hate it that that rich guy that didn't work, that I, we all know who we're talking about, sure. that's a trafficker. We all know somebody living that lifestyle. And I'm like, hey, here I am working to make ends meet, right? Make a living. And you see this rich guy that you know who's got his wealth by by illegal type uh, means. Anyway, the moral of the story, you got to go after them, but it's not working. We need to get better. You know what? I, I've always liked the education type program, starting mm-hmm. off with the kids at school, t- telling them, hey, you know, this stuff is, is, is hurting people, is, is killing people. Be honest with with the kids. We need to get better that, with that. You know what? And remember, you should remember the, the D.A.R.E. program. You remember mm-hmm. that? Oh, yeah. You know? I did too. Uh, people loved the D.A.R.E. program. I've talked to people. So, yeah, I went to school. I used to love my D.A.R.E. class, you know. Mm-hmm. And then a uh, certain administration came in and uh, cut the funding. So there are D.A.R.E., but it's a, a more of a private funding now. I don't know. It, it's we, we need more education. Drug traffickers, the war on drugs, they're going to continue. As long as there's money to be made, look at right now the you know what we're going through with with the virus, right? Mm-hmm. They're still trafficking. They just caught that tunnel and uh, you know discovered that tunnel in San Diego. What two three thousand pounds of uh, of coke? Uh, they don't care who dies, who gets killed. As long as there's money to be made, you know we're the ones that are using uh, the dope. Uh, uh, we we need to get better. If somebody had a solution, mm-hmm. and I'm not into the legalization, and, and you know what, and we bring up, you know, marijuana, and, you know, Steve's feelings on is different than mine, you know, we were never going after the marijuana user, everybody thinks, who cares, you know, I, I tell people, you got to mm-hmm. smoke them, you know, uh, there's people out there that are, we, we, I don't have a problem with that, the problem I have with the marijuana right now is the THC. You know, the hydroponics and I work San Francisco. I was there at the height of all that uh, experimentation of the, the grow houses and, and all the chemicals. So, and, you know, and you talk to people, the THC, you're going to see about 20 to 25 percent. And the THC is what makes it high. Yeah, I heard it's high. not your mom and dad's weed anymore. No. Yeah, your mom <laughs> and dad's when we were in high school was what, one or two percent. Remember that? I mean, <laughs> come on, everybody, you know, the sure, skunk sure. weed. You know, it's like, oh, man, you're like, wow, that smells terrible. But now you have a young kid smoking a joint and, man, they are out of control. You know, uh, it's it's that stuff that makes it. But anyway, uh, getting away from that, like I said, we were never after the marijuana users. I'm just saying you got them, smoke them. Uh, but just be careful with what what you're doing. And then that synthetic stuff hit the streets. Remember the Scooby-Doo packages, the colorful packages. It was synthetic marijuana. That was even one. (laughs) You missed that. Yeah, it was being sold. Kids were buying them supposed to be for legal. It was legal, uh, but it was barley. And then uh, they mix in a chemical 
bring it in from China, and they'd mix it in cement mixers, and then the stores would sell in them. A lot of kids died with that one because of the concentration in one package, the other packages, it was a mess. But anyway, so bottom line is we need to get better with our education system in uh, in uh, dealing with drugs. It's They're going to be out there. You know, the U.S. is the biggest user of all this, right? Uh, Colombians used to tell us, hey, yeah, we got the producers, but y'all are the ones that are using all this stuff. So anyway. Yeah. Colombia so is not that. what it was, though, right? I mean, I, I thought that really the big problem spot has been shifted to Mexico and that Colombia has cleaned up quite a bit. Am I wrong? Yeah, Colombia did a good job in cleaning, uh, going after their traffickers. Now Mexico, that's a different subject. Mexico is out of control. Uh, there's no, uh, you know, we saw the arrest of Chapo, right? The extradition mm-hmm. of so what happens? <laughs> Other traffickers took his place. Uh, then the the violence that is going on in Mexico, yeah. a lot of it is being reported. The shootout, uh, it's just, it, it's a mess. The intimidation, the problem with Mexico is the corruption. You know, they get mm-hmm. to everybody out there and, uh, and then all of a sudden it's just, you know, everybody's taking money, uh, turning the other way. And if you don't take the money, then you get killed. So, I mean, how, how do you, I mean, you got to combat this, but you also see that other side of the coin. Silver or lead, right? Oh, Pablo yeah. Escobar. Right. Uh, you learned. Wow. That's a good say. Yeah. Five dollar plomo. <laughs> um, to wrap things up, I'm curious because I feel like you had a lot of praise for your um, original chief in uh, Colombia. Um, yeah. It was a Joe Toft. Right. Did, was he kind of a template for your leadership later on as your career went? You know, yeah, Eric, yeah, you're you're hitting it out of the park uh, today. Yeah, that, that's a, yeah, nobody brings him up, but yes, he was a template. He was. I learned a lot from him in being a good leader. He was tough. He was strict. He he expected you to work, but then he had that compassion side about him, which that's what you look for in a leader. That's what you're, uh, you follow a, in a boss. He was out there. Uh, he was helping you, and he was pushing you. And he was there supporting you. So uh, we have we have a lot of accolades, and I'm glad you brought him up. But uh, he deserves uh, a lot. Helped us out, and I don't. I think if it wasn't for him, we wouldn't have been able to do our our, our jobs. You know, because he was so like I said, he had that leadership, that involvement, uh, quality about him. Well, and the very last question: I'm guessing that you don't want to be served any watermelon. Yeah, you are. I hate watermelon. It's it's a good good fruit, but I worked the watermelon fields when I was started. I think about fifteen years old in South Texas, and man, talking about the the sun, especially South Texas, over a hundred degrees and rattlesnakes. I hate rattlesnakes too. You oh, pick yeah. up a melon to throw onto the truck, there'd be a rattlesnake underneath. So yeah, thank you. I I do not uh, eat watermelons. Watermelons are good, believe me. But yeah, I have something that just triggers in my mind of all that hard work I did picking watermelons. Yeah, my father could not eat watermelons. He picked watermelons as a child in California and had gorged so much of it going up that he literally could not keep it down. It was almost an allergy. So when I read that, I could relate 
so strongly wow. because he <laughs> hated right. it. Yeah, in the summertime, you were hungry, thirsty, you crack open a watermelon, eat it. Yeah, but yeah, I can't. It just, when I see one, it just something triggers in my mind. <laughs> so well, I'm glad you, you related to that. <laughs> well, Javier, thank you so much for coming on. All this right. has been a delight. Thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks for the calling us. Wasn't Javier fantastic? I really appreciate having the opportunity to speak to such legends as Javier Pena and Steve Murphy. And there are other great folks coming on down the line. Now, if you don't know already, I also have a live stream on YouTube where previous unstructured guests will come on and you have an opportunity to speak to them. There were several live streams already up there with the likes of Chase Hughes, Mark Bowden, Scott Rouse, Sheila Wysocki, the great private investigator, Dana Reidenhauer of the FBI. All kinds of folks are up there, plus their video interviews. I hope you get a chance to check it out. Please subscribe so you can see more. Now, I also wanted to give a shout out to a couple other great podcasters and people I consider friends of mine. And these are Brett Allen of the Open Mic Podcast and Tyson Franklin of It's No Secret. These guys have really good shows. And if you get an opportunity, go look them up and check them out. Thanks again for listening and, and I'll see you in the future.